Uh, I want to welcome uh, each of you to our gathering today. Thank you all for gathering with us. Uh, yeah, we are uh, glad to be together, but as we get settled in, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Galatians uh, chapter 4, where today, uh, man, we're going to continue working through the chapter following Paul's uh, his call from last week to remember uh, the adoption that comes through the finished work of Jesus. And so really quickly, just to recap from last week, uh, what Paul says, and really he's uh, been arguing it for the last couple of weeks, is that we are no longer under the guardian of the law. You see, because of transgression, the law was implemented, it was put in place, uh, not as a way for us to say, hey, if you could just uh, complete this, you would be made right, but to make us realize that, man, we can't and we need a Savior, we need a rescuer, right? And in light of that, what the law did was it, uh, man, it was a guardian to lead us uh, really to the end of ourselves. Uh, and then by the grace of God, we are transformed and adopted into God's family. You see, what Paul says is we are no, un- uh, no longer under the guardian of the law. We have, we have put on Christ. We are in Christ. We are, as Scripture says, we are clothed in Christ. And I shared last week that when, when we put on clothing... That our clothing, it represents different things. You know, it represents identity. What you wear, you wear it because it gives you a certain identity, right? Cody's wearing New Balance shoes because he's about to be a dad. He's already got his dad's shoes on. He's ready to go. He is just fully jumping into that identity, right? Uh, you know, we were at Target yesterday and I saw something. I can't remember what it was and I made a joke. And she, Haley was like, you're just becoming such a dad. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Uh, you laughed, uh, maybe not with me, but probably at me. But um, it, So you get identity. When we put on Christ, man, we learn that we are dependent upon Him just as we are dependent upon clothing, right? We wear clothing to keep us warm, to keep us cool, to keep us even safe in moments. And we are dependent upon Christ for each and everything in our lives. Thirdly, man, we, when we put on Christ, we are to imitate Christ, right? I said last week that when, you know, children, when they dress up, they're playing dress up, they're trying to imitate uh, whatever it is they're dressing up as. We too, because we are clothed in Christ, are to imitate or represent Christ. And then lastly, we are clothed in His righteousness. None of our righteous works mean anything. It actually says that, man, our righteousness, our works, all of our deeds are Filthy rags in God's side. But Jesus came, the perfect one, and He gives us His righteousness. He clothes us in His righteousness. And then what we see, the way we see this working out is God, Paul says at the beginning of Galatians 4, he says, when the fullness of time had come. You see, this wasn't plan B. This was God's plan A. And in His providence and in His sovereignty and in His timing, He sent Jesus. Jesus came, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem we who were under the law so that we might receive what? We might receive adoption. What I shared last week is adoption is not easy. If you've walked through it or uh, know know someone who's walked through it, it's not an easy thing. It has to be the right timing and you have to have the right qualifications. But Jesus came at the right time and He came with the right qualifications so that we, we might be adopted as sons and daughters of the King. And so what we were uh, encouraged with last week, what we were called to last week, is one, if you're a follower of Jesus, do you believe that? 
Do you believe that? Or if you turn and begin to believe that other things are going to give you that fulfillment, they're going to give you that identity, that you can clothe yourself in other stuff, or maybe you haven't even received it. I mean, today, do you need to receive that and, and have life because you are still clothed in what the Scripture would term as filthy rags? But I think there's a third thing, and really it's going to kind of relate to what we're walking into today is Man, when we believe that, when we receive that, man, we begin to walk in obedience to the law in light of what Jesus has done, not in light of what we think we need to do. It's freeing, it's fulfilling, it's empowering. And so with that, let's look now at Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Paul says this, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have labored over you in vain. Okay, so as we read verses 8 through 11, what I want us to really just go ahead and lay out is that uh, today in verses 8 through 11, and then next week when we look at verses 21 through 33, they're really bookends. So what's going to happen today in these first verses, and then next week we're going to walk through these bookends to this part of the letter where Paul is going to carry this theme of enslavement and freedom. So what he's going to do at the early part of today and says, hey, remember that you were once enslaved, but you have freedom. And then next week he's going to say, hey, remember, don't forget you were once enslaved, but this is what Jesus has done. Paul, in beginning this section, is going to continue with, really, as you read this letter, as we've gone through this letter, I don't know about you, but it's been a pretty rough letter in terms of Paul's just pretty blunt and straightforward. And he, he has to be, right? Like, this is a serious matter. This isn't an open-handed issue that Paul's dealing with. This is the foundation of belief in the gospel. This is, man, salvation or, as he says, a no message, a living a life that is cursed under the law. But what we see in this section is Paul, after three and a half really hard chapters of saying, hey, you've missed it, who's bewitched you? What he begins to do, and and you see it just kind of in the way that he begins to plead with the church in Galatia, this uh, pastoral affection for the Galatian church. You see, Paul really cares for and is concerned with the well-being of their hearts. You, You see, Paul's not just concerned with what they believe, although that is very important. It's not just the head knowledge that he wants transformed. He doesn't want to just say, hey, if someone asks you, these are the five points of the gospel, right? Uh, what he wants you to know is that, hey, this is how this transforms your heart. He wants to see a heart change because he cares for them. Luther, Martin Luther said that the words of Paul in the rest of chapter 4 are to be seen in that they breathe Paul's tears for those to whom he's writing. You see, Paul's just not angry and upset and just saying, hey, get your act together. No, Paul is like a parent looking at his children and saying, hey, you know, you don't need to walk that way. And, and, and it's out of his great love that he's sharing these things. And I think that, man, this is so key when we think about it, when we look at it in terms of our care and concern for others, is it not? 
You see, usually when sin and brokenness rises up in our own lives or in the lives of those around us, be it in the church or, uh, you know, in, if you have children, in your children or in your spouse or in your workplace, usually we have one of two responses. Response one is all law. I mean, when you only give the law, there's no care, love, or concern, right? Really, the mentality when it's all law is you broke it, now I must what? I must break you, right? It's like the Rocky movie, right? Like the, the Soviet guy in Rocky III, like he has no emotion. It's almost like he was made in a lab. Kind of was, maybe. Uh, and, and he just goes up and he hits his gloves and he goes, now I must break you. Like, that's the only thing. Like, there's no care or concern or anything. And oftentimes in life, like, when we're dealing with the brokenness and sin uh, in our own hearts, because I believe that, man, I believe that we often, it begins with us, right? Because we don't know how to deal with the sin and brokenness in our own hearts, man, that just kind of floods out into every other relationship. And we do those relationships poorly because we don't know how to deal with our own stuff well. We're not gracious and patient and, and, and loving to ourselves, and so therefore we're not gracious and patient and loving to anyone else. It's all law. But then, on the other side, the other response is one of all grace, right? And again, this one sounds really good. I think in, really, I think in church culture right now, like this is really popular. But all grace is the same way. There's no real care, love, or concern because what you do is the mentality is you broke it, but who cares? Let's just laugh it off. There's not a weightiness to sin, but see, the way of Jesus presents us a third way. The good news of the gospel presents a third way that Paul presses into here. Really, what he's been doing for in Galatians is he's been laying out the foundation of, hey, this is where you've missed it, but now there's this pastoral heart of saying, hey, but I want you to see God's grace in the midst of it. You see, sin reveals brokenness, and guess what? We need to hear this. Sin carries consequences, does it not? Like sin all, like the Bible says that the, ultimately the wages of sin is what? Death. Like the, the, the wages of sin, like the consequence, the ultimate consequence, whether you see it now or not, like the wages of sin is death. And I think oftentimes, like what we forget, though, is that while there are consequences, we forget that the wrath has already been meted out. That the law has already been fulfilled. You see, I think at times when we're dealing with Let's just say, I mean, because I'm in the thick of it with my children. When there's consequence, the consequence is, hey, this is just blunt consequence. And sometimes what I try to met out is a bit of wrath and a bit of the law because I'm just frustrated and tired. And I'm impatient. But oftentimes it's because I, if I take a step back, it's probably because there's something inside me that I'm frustrated and impatient with and it's just coming out. You see, we must remember that while their sin reveals brokenness and carries consequences, the wrath has already been meted out. But along with this, change is to be seen. Change is only seen as we experience and receive grace for what it is. And what we need is the Spirit of God for both of them. 
We need the Spirit of God when, when sin is revealed and brokenness. When we have to say hard truths, we need the Spirit of God. When we're speaking the truth in love and there's consequence, like with my children, I need the Spirit of God so that I'm giving them, like saying, hey, there is a consequence, right? Because, uh, you know, whether it's something being removed and they're being grounded or, you know, at times when the spanking spoon has to come out. Uh, and uh, if you're not, like, we can talk about that later, if, you know, uh, you know, if you need to. But, like, there's moments where that comes out. And usually we give them that and then we give them nothing else. I know that's how it was for me. You got that, but we're not going to get to the reality of like, hey, there's something deeper going on here. And so I think we're often frustrated with ourselves, with our children, with our spouse, because we never move to the point of, hey, what does the good news say about this? Yes, there's consequence to this brokenness, but how do we continue? Where do we get to the root of it? If we want to see transformation, we need the Spirit of God in the midst of it, but also we need the Spirit of God on the back end to say, hey, this is where grace is revealed. This, Guess what? Wrath, the fullness of wrath that has already been meted out. You don't have to look to those things any longer. You can turn in repentance and faith. And what we see beginning with verse 8 is Paul slowing down and calling the Galatians to remember their former life. Because, again, one of the best things we can do is not wallow in our sin uh, or the brokenness of our past as a badge of honor or a hindrance to our new life in Christ. Rather, in remembering our former life, we, like the church in Galatia, are met first with the truth that we did not know God. You see, sin is not merely about the false worship of idols and fake gods. It's about the deeper reality that we are blind and dead in our trespasses and sin. That we are enslaved to the broken reality of the world. This enslavement Paul speaks of is to false god, which Paul, what he's saying here, is he's saying, man, those false, those idols, they are demonic in nature and form. Which... I mean, I think we oftentimes we don't give much thought to it. We commonly don't think about our worshiping of we we. That's not how we commonly think about our worshiping of anything that is not God. You see, because we have a little view of our sin and brokenness, because we have a little view of what God's payment actually was. Uh, man, we often have a little view of our idol worship. I mean, we don't think it's that bad, right? Just a, I mean, I'm doing all the other things, right? Like I'm going to church, I go to a missional community, I do. So who cares if I worship these idols? They're just little idols. No, what Paul says is anything that you worship other than God, he says it's demonic in nature. It's enslaving. And what if we saw it as such? And so Paul, what he says, he says, hey, I want you to remember who you once were, that you were dead, that you were enslaved. But then, which that's the consequence, right? Like that's the But then what he does is he points them, draws them to the good news of God's grace. This isn't a shame tactic. This is the reality of sin met with the reality of God's victorious grace. Paul says, but now, He says, you have come to know God, or rather, you have come to be known by God. I love what, I love like 
and like reading this and just hearing what Paul does when he says, hey, you know, you, now you know God. Wait, no, actually, you're known. Like, let's take it back further. You're known by God. It's so amazing because you see for a moment it seems as if Paul is going, if he's going to place the basis of salvation upon the saved person's knowing of God. But then he restates by sharing, he says that the basis is found in the good news that you are known by God. You see, if it's up to you coming to know God, that's a slippery slope of performance that Paul has been arguing against all along. But to be known, which is the good news message of the gospel, we see that the promise is fulfilled in the work of God and our salvation from beginning to end. The way we started this series, what do you bring into your salvation? What do you bring to the table in terms of your salvation? You bring one thing. Your sin, right? That's all you bring to the table. And yet He chose to know us in love, grace, and the giving of His Son. And do you believe this today? Again, do you live as if you were adopted, as if you have a place in the kingdom and you are known by God? Or have you built and believed a largely first world theology of salvation that is rooted in the cleaning up of yourself and knowing things about God without really knowing God. You see, you can know a lot about God and not know God. Knowing is not the first step. Being known is the only way. Scripture says that we love because, well, why? Because He first loved. God's knowing of you must invade your life for enslavement to be broken. God's knowing of you must invade your life for you to have life. It's in light of this that Paul asks, he says, look, remember who you once were. You were enslaved. But guess what? The grace of God, like you are now known by God. And then he asks this question. He's exasperated. He looks, he says, then why in the world If you're known by God, why in the world would you turn back to your former enslavement and believe in the weak and worthless idols that got you nowhere previously? So this past Tuesday in Men's Equip, we kicked off our time. We've been uh, trying much grace to read the Bible in 90 days. Have we not, men? Uh, And we've been been walking through it, but we read Colossians a week or two ago, and, and we started with the beginning of Colossians 3, which is this reality of, hey, you were to put on the new self. The old self has died. Put on the new self. And don't turn back to the old self. And a question was raised, why do we go back and try and put on the things of the old self? And so my response was, why? That's a great question. And man, we begin to think on it and process, and people began to share. And here's just a few of the answers that we got. Well, we turn back to the old self because we think the old self's comfortable. And part of it is, right? Like, <laughs> Jesus doesn't promise us comfort, He actually promises us death that leads to life, you know? Anyone trying to save his life will lose it, but anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it, but man, that's not comfortable. 
The next one was like, well, the reason I run back to it is because, man, I believe I can control it. Because, man, when you depend on God, what you realize more and more and more is you don't control anything. (laughs) Right? Like, you just sit back and you're like, okay, God. Somebody else said, well, the reason I do it is because it just seems easier. He's like, and it is in the moment. But it's not ultimately. For others, it's the lust for power. It's a lust for purpose. It's pride. It's the need for acceptance. It's the need for success, right? Like your story, like the, and the way you were raised plays into this. There's things that happen in your life and you're like, man, I want to go so far against that that even in following Jesus, I'm going to run after those other things and I've got to prove myself. I've got to be a success. I have to have a good name, whatever it is. You see, these are the elementary principles of the world that Paul is after here. Tim Keller, in writing about this passage, he said the basic or elementary principle of the world is that we need to save ourselves. Therefore, we will worship what we think we need to fulfill ourselves and gives us life. And what Paul is saying here is that any basic thing, any elementary thing, be it in money, in, in sex, and for the Galatians specifically, like who weren't, they weren't Jews, right? Like they were Gentiles, like they worshipped in paganism. So oftentimes like their worship was found on these mountains and they would build these statues and idols and they would go up on top of the mountain and worship there. What Paul is saying is that these things can be worshipped, they can be treated as a god, and they can become the basis of your religion. But whatever it is that you worship, you will be enslaved by. Just a a quick example, like let's take like wealth, right? Like when you don't have it, it's really easy to become ruled by the greed to get it. Like when you don't have it, like you you want that, right? And then when you do have it, you're going to be ruled by the reality that it's not enough. I've told you all this before. When Haley and I, like the day Haley and I got married, I became more rich than I'd ever been in my life. And guess what? We didn't have anything, okay? She's crying. I'm celebrating, right? Like she's like, we don't, we're not going to make it. And I'm like, oh, we're rich, <laughs> There are more, there's not a negative sign in front, and there are more than three, there's four numbers there. Never seen it. Never. I'm 25, never seen it. Okay? Like, I couldn't believe it. And now, like, what I realize is that, man, like, we, we do fine, we are comfortable, we have everything we need, but guess what, like, no matter how much it is, like, there's always, I'm like, man, I wish I could just have a little more. If a little's good, a lot's better, right? But then I'm like, no, it's not. And the words of Notorious B.I.G., more money, more problems, right? Like, <laughs> like, that's it. Check. Bucket list preaching right there. But that's it, like... We do that with well, and then like what become what happens on both sides is that when we don't have it, we're greedy because we want more, and when we do have it, we realize it's not enough. But on both sides, we think it's all ours. Like we did something to get it, right? Well, I worked really hard for it. 
Well, you, yeah, maybe, but who gave you the grace and the ability to do that? God. Like, you know, like, it, it, it's, yes, God calls us to work as unto the Lord, but at the end of the day, He's the one that br- brings the blessing and the fruit of it. It's His. He's just called us to steward it. And yet we begin to think, well, no, it's mine. Man, today, what's your enslaving principle? You know, for some, like it's family, right? Like your enslaving principle is family. And, and I want us to hear this. Like, these are like, these things, they can be really good things on the surface. But what we do is we begin to worship them like a god. We begin to put weight. That's what, that's what it means to worship, is to put weight upon something that can't sustain it, Right? You put it on your family. Maybe you put it on your comfort. You put it on your marriage. You put it on your children. You know, all this weight of the things you didn't get to do, so you begin to live vicariously through them. I want this for you. I want this. And and you push them and push them and push them. And and then, man, they just burn out. And you're like, you can't understand. You're like, I've given you everything. When really all they wanted you to love them and care about them and, and just, you know, play Legos with them. And yet we think, oh, no, you've, like, you're three years old. Like, you've got to start studying for SAT or, like, we've got to get you into college, right? It's what we do. You know, for me, like it's, I just want to do every, like I worship the idol of no conflict, right? Like if I can have that, like awesome. Individualism, you, man, you're enslaved by your own self. Everything is about you. You see, this is what Paul is pressing here in the moment. You see, he's a pastor, that has a heart for those he loves and he shared life with. And so he is begging them to open their eyes and see the reality of the broken blindness they've become susceptible to. He, what he says, he says, hey, look, like, why would you turn back? And he says, look at what you're doing. You're observing days and, and months and seasons and years, which to us is like, what in the world? What, what does that even mean? You see... Previously, the Galatians, they walked in a form of paganism where they worshipped a variety of gods that would have to be observed on various days, months, seasons, and years. This this act of you've got to perform at certain times. You see, the Gospel had freed them from such false worship. And so Paul's saying, why in the world would you look to turn to the same performance of works-based righteousness by observing festivals, feasts, and the celebrations of Judaism. What he's saying, he's saying, you're, you, essentially what he says is, you say, you've, you're trading one form of demonic worship for another if you hope that it could make you righteous before God. And that's astonishing, right? Because we look at it, we're like, wait, that's in the Bible. Like, that's in the Old Testament. And again, God gave it because guess what? It was meant to be a celebration, not as an avenue of righteousness. The Feast of Booths, these things were meant to mark. This is what God has done to save us and rescue us. But what it, came, what it turned into is, God did that, but let's do a little more. 
Paul says, man, no, it's, it's wrong. Over and over, even before Jesus came, over and over again, you read all through the Old Testament, and he's, God's like, hey, I don't care about the blood of animals. It means nothing to me. So what Paul's saying here, he says, God, like, he wants your heart. He doesn't want the days and festivals and all that stuff. Are they okay? Yeah. Right? Like, Christmas is fine. As long as the wise men come later. Like, it's all right. Like, those things aren't essentially bad. We just turn them into something they're not. Because we're, guess what? We're the best at that. We are the best at making idols out of all kinds of things that are worthless. But let's push deeper because, again, there's nothing new under the sun. You see, we can and we do quickly turn to the same practices in hopes of being made or keeping our right standing before God. You see, the scheme of the devil in the first century is no different than the 21st century. So if you go to church, you pray, you sing songs, you read the Word in the hopes that your work will earn God's favor, you're no different than every other false religion we tend to scoff at on a daily basis. People say, why pray? Muslims pray like five times a day. Like they and they they don't just pray, like they stop. Right? Like they're they're serious about it. Okay, well, you know, I believe in God or I, you know, I worship man Hindu Hinduism, they worship thousands of gods. One writer says that if your Christianity consists of slavery to religion in order to make yourself right before God, then it's just as if you're giving yourself to the pagan religions of the world. But Christianity is radically different from worldly religions. For rather than being slaves of religion, we are sons and daughters in a relationship with God. That's the difference. You know, it's going into we, we you know it's going into relationships and realizing like man I'm not going into this because I need to like I don't go into marriage I married a couple yesterday and that's something I told them like you're not going into marriage because you're trying to gain like gain something from that other person like one they can't fulfill you and also like you don't go into marriage saying well I'm going to give my fifty percent you better give your fifty percent. No, you go in and both say, I'm giving 100%, and that other person owes me nothing. I don't need to prove or do things for acceptance or to get the results that I want. Rather, I'm to serve my wife in light of my knowing of her and the love that I have for her. See, what Paul shares in laying all this before the Galatians, he says, hey, if you're going to so... He says, man, if y'all are going to so quickly turn to that, I think I labored in vain. Which is really, really harsh, right? Like that's, that's one of the, It's almost like when the parent, you know, as a parent, you're like, hey, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed in you. Well, be mad at me, right? <laughs> like... Like, give me a spanking. Like, don't say you're disappointed. Like, Paul, that's what Paul, like, his heart, like, he is, he is weeping and burdened. He 
says, look, if you're going to just turn to those things, it was all a waste if the product of your worship is just to turn back to works. But what I want us to see in the midst of that is that God, by His grace, He uses even those moments. You see, grace allows us to come to the end of ourselves. God reveals to us, like, hey, He even allows us to, man, by His grace to say, hey, yeah, go, go look at that. And then I want you to realize that you're not going to be satisfied. And in His patience and His love and His timing, what He does, because guess what? He is growing us into His image. He uses every part of our lives so that He might reveal to us, no, I'm better. And it's not easy, right? One, because we, don't, we see the problem, but we don't want to go far enough. We want to just push it away or bury it. And what Jesus wants to do is He says, no, I want to get to the heart of it. Again, you realize the consequence, but it's not enough just to realize the consequence. We've got to walk in repentance and you've got to turn to God in faith. But also it's not easy because, man, what it does is, man, when you're walking through this and when you're walking through others with this, man, what you realize is all I can do is pray uh, man, I need a whole lot more patience because this is always a process. Paul Tripp says, you know, we like events. We don't like the process. He says, but there's really, you know, there's nothing that God does that's not just this process, right? In Men's Equip, we were talking about the other day that, you know, that we, we hate saplings, like trees, because we want them to be big oak trees, but it takes hundreds of years for an oak tree to become an oak tree. We're so upset with the sapling, like, just grow already, right? And what we forget is that, man, no, that there's something inside of that oak tree that's going to make it into a big tree. We've just got to be patient. We've got to allow the time. We've got to allow it to do its work, and that's what God is doing in us. Let us not labor in vain. Let us not quickly turn away to other things. Let us look to Jesus So let's look now at how Paul continues by reading verses 12 through 20. He says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I and perplexed about you. Alright, so Paul has been calling for the church to open their eyes to the waywardness they're leaning into, which leads him to share. He says, hey, y'all, like, follow my example by becoming like he is. Now what Paul's not saying is, hey, be just like me, I'm your Savior. That's not what Paul's saying. He's actually very against that. See it at the beginning of Galatians 1. 
anyone preaches another gospel, even if I do, let me be cursed. What Paul was arguing is for them to be formed in and by Jesus. What he says, he says, hey, when I came to you, I came to you and I set aside all my Jewishness, right? All my customs and my identity so that I might proclaim to you the salvation that is found in grace alone. You see, in life, our posture often towards others is be like me, or when we fail, it's do as I say, not as I do. Which always bothered me as a young man. Because really what you're saying is don't be like me, but don't tell me to do any different. But the gospel calls us to make disciples that are not mirror images of us because guess what? I make a horrible image. I make a horrible God. Rather, we are, to, we are called to be the image bearers of better news that is only found in Jesus and is solely by grace alone. And so Paul says, become like this. He says, don't run to those traditions. Don't run to those works. Lay them aside. Be free. Don't be enslaved. Paul says that, he says, when I came to you, he says, you know I preached the gospel because of an ailment. You know, they don't know what the ailment was. It could have been, they talk about gouging their eyes out. Like it, Some say that because when Paul was blinded that he had trouble seeing. Some say it could have been like a literal sickness or things like that. But he came and, and he, he says, I came to you even in the midst of my weakness and I preached the gospel to you. He says, I didn't come in physical strength. He didn't come put together. He didn't come exuding a power and pride in Himself. Rather, He came to them and proclaimed the Gospel while suffering. And I want us to hear that today. Paul was not put together when he proclaimed the Gospel. He was just willing to proclaim the Gospel. You see, in our own lives, we don't proclaim because we've created some standardized list. We have to meet to be put together enough to proclaim grace. That's the wrong posture. Grace frees us to proclaim because we need grace all the time. We just need to be willing to proclaim the good news at all times. Man, what I am encouraged by and what I want to see grow more in the culture of this church is that we would, in greater and greater ways, be more transparent honest, willing to receive grace, willing to walk in repentance and faith where we miss it. That we would be willing to say, hey, this is who I am. And that that would be a nat- like our natural response to be that was like, yep, I'm the same way. I'm broken. I'm in need of grace. This is what God's doing. And that, man, that, that, like, that's where transformation happens. And we could try to hide it off to the side and dress ourselves up and say, well, I'll start sharing some stuff when I have some good things to share. If you want to have good things to share, share the bad things and watch how God turns them. He transforms them to where you're like, oh, that's the good news. That's what we're after. Well, Paul says, he says, that even when I was weak, suffering and not put together, he says, you received me. And the good news I, uh, I proclaim, he says, man, what's changed? That you would turn from the joy of receiving me to now despising me. 
You see, we need to feel what Paul is saying here. We need to see this dramatic shift. You see, first, they received Him. At one time, they were willing, he says, to gouge out your eyes and give them to me. And that's an intense receiving. He says, now, like, you're despised. He says, where's your blessedness gone? Like, where's your joy over me gone? He says, is it because of the truth that I have become an enemy that you would despise? You see, what we have to realize is that the gospel, while good news, is good news that offends. Because it goes against everything we believe about salvation, worship, and life, right? It says we are dead. It says we are enemies of God. Like, it offends. And the reality is, and this is what Paul's stating, is because I spoke the truth, which it is. Like, Paul, they are offended because the gospel offends, does it not? It is offensive. Like, we, you know, we, you don't want to hear it. But the problem, and I, and I think because what we can do is we can live our lives in such a way and say, well, I'm just going to say whatever because the gospel offends. But the problem is as believers, we tend to just be offensive and label it as the gospel offending. You see, much of the church, what much of the church does is not the gospel itself offending, but that we are just offensive and ugly people that hide behind a banner we label as gospel but it's not the biblical gospel. I got a church planner friend that, you know, he, he's in the midst of uh, a context that is, man, it's all works-based righteousness. And he says, man, guess what, dude? He said, the gospel is so offensive when we start, to, like, when we start telling people it's not about that. He said, and what I told our people, he says, let's let, only let the gospel be offensive. He said, people should never say that you're personally offensive. They should just let, like, you just let the gospel do its work. That you, you, you care, you love, you serve, you encourage, you be real, you be honest. But let's let the gospel be offensive. Therefore, let us make much of the gospel and the gospel alone. May we be known as a people that make much of Jesus and not ourselves. May our strategy no longer be broken by selfishness and offense, but service, proclamation, and worship. My fear is that we might continue to walk in the cyclical offensive patterns of performance-driven Christianity rather than gospel-driven biblical Christianity. That's what Paul says. He says, hey, like, I want to be with you all because I'm really perplexed. Because y'all are turning away, y'all are, y'all are following a different gospel. At times I find myself perplexed because have we made it something it's not? Have we turned to comfort and false things that will always fail us? But while that's my fear, I, I have there is a greater hope. My greater hope is that we as little children would run to God in repentance and faith, trusting not in the works of self, but in the good news of Jesus. Remembering our former life. Walking in the freedom of being in Christ and then proclaiming better news to the world around us. You see, what Paul was after is not that the Galatians would simply have right theology, but that their right theology would lead to expansive proclamation of the good news. And what we are after is not just good theology, but an active response to theology 
that is rooted in the grace of Christ's finished work, that is empowered by the Spirit and leads to the proclaiming of the good news with our lives. That's what we're after. When we talk about being good neighbors to Brenham, that's what we're after. And man, people would say, man, like, and some of the things they say are really offensive, but they serve the crud out of this city, that they love and care for people, that they, man, they are encouraging, that they are filled with laughter, that they, man, are filled with joy. Man, all we can say about them is that when they talk about the Bible, it offends me sometimes. But they're different. They believe it. They live it. So I'm going to have the team come back up. And man, today I want us just to sit and rest. Man, is there something you're enslaved by today? Is there an elementary principle that you're running to, that, that you're uh, seeking to find satisfaction in life in? And man, I would encourage you. Man, as Paul made like, man, turn from it. Turn to the only thing that will satisfy, the good news of Jesus. Lay those things at His feet. And today begin to cry out and say, Jesus, man, transform my heart. Man, let me, uh, man, let me uh, believe, let me receive the good news, the hope that's found only in You. And let that be what transforms my life. May we be a culture that seeks to be transformed by the Gospel, rooted in the Gospel, empowered by this good news. And it would lead us to all be participants in what God has called us to here. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you some time to reflect and to pray. Uh, we've got communion up here. Um, and uh, man, as you think, I want you to be reminded of what Jesus has done. That He came as the perfect sacrifice. That He came and that He, man, lived, died, and rose again. It cost Him so that we might be adopted. We might have life. So we don't have to turn to the elementary principles of the world. The need to save ourselves. And we find salvation in Him and Him alone. So if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to come share in communion. We're going to pray and we're going to worship. So God, I pray now, Lord, that we would not just have a head knowledge. That we would not just have a, 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 a lives that just check boxes, but that we would have lives deeply rooted in You. That we would not turn to those things. That we would allow You to go deeper in our lives. That we would not only see uh, consequences, but we would see that, man, Your grace transforms. That it brings life. God, if there's areas in our lives where we need to come to the end of ourselves, bring us to the end of ourselves so that we might be empty and then filled up with You. Let us be quick to turn away from those things and turn to You and give us grace for ourselves and others. Empower us. Transform our hearts. In Jesus' name.